0: Guess what? I'm moving country again. I don't know, maybe a year, maybe more. Where's home? Home's everywhere. I'm an expat. Hello, it's Pauline from Meet the Expats, and this, this week I meet with Jennifer, a Babouin ballet teacher, author of All Forgotten Now, who made the move to England and then to the cold Calgary in Canada. And in this episode, we're going to discuss these different moves and her turn in life and what led her to write. Hi, Jennifer. How are you?
1: Hi, I'm well. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: I'm very excited to hear about your stories from Zimbabwe to Europe and then North America. I mean, there's such different cultures. I can't imagine uh, what you've been through. Before we dive into this, Why don't you introduce yourself briefly to the audience?
1: Okay, Uh, my name is Jennifer Mariani. I was born and raised in Harare, Zimbabwe. And when I was 17, I moved to England to pursue a career in ballet. And then later I moved to Canada, where I've now been since 2004. I live in Calgary, Alberta, and um, I have two daughters. I teach ballet at Alberta Ballet School, and I am a published author of a poetry chapbook collection called All Forgotten Now, which is a collection of poems about Zimbabwe.
0: Nice. Well, I can't wait to dive into all these wild experiences. I didn't realize you've been in Canada for so, uh, for so long now. So maybe let's start with the beginnings and talk about your decision to leave Zimbabwe when you were 17. I mean, that is extremely young to decide to completely change continents and culture. Can you talk us through this,
1: this thought process? Yes, so um, uh, I had always danced and I wanted uh, to pursue um, some accreditations as a ballet teacher. Unfortunately, in Zimbabwe at the time in the early 2000s, there was a lot of uh, political upheaval and turmoil. There weren't a lot of options uh, within the country for tertiary education and certainly not in ballet. Right. So I decided to go to um the UK. I ended up in Manchester at Northern Valley School. And you know, it's sort of the age where uh if you're going to do any intensive training that you would go Um, you know a lot of professional dancers are in full-time training when they're you know 10 or 12 yeah professional training so you know in the ballet world it's kind of late to start very intensive training at the age of 17 I was going primarily to pursue getting my teaching qualifications Um, so that's the decision that drove that there wasn't really anything at home for me uh, to do in order to gain those qualifications
0: Right. And how did England
1: come up versus anywhere else in the world? Um, You know, I had had family that had moved to the UK in the 80s. So after Zimbabwe gained independence, there was a mass exodus of people, especially Mm. a lot of the white population seemed to leave after Zimbabwe was newly independent. So I had my grandparents in England and my father's family in England. I also, uh, my father being born in Italy, I had a European Union passport, which right. at the time meant that I could study and travel anywhere in the EU without visas and that kind of thing. So it was really easy to get to England and there was family that weren't far away. So yeah, that was, that was what uh, helped me to do that.
0: Yeah, I can imagine at that age having family close by is is going to be quite um, quite important.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, it meant that I was far from home, but I wasn't necessarily yeah. far from family.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and you need that as, <laughs> at that age, especially if you're going to, into intense training. Could you? What was your feeling when you when you moved, and how did you adapt to this whole new life? Not only in terms of culture, but also in terms of while well, you you suddenly started uh, doing ballet intensively.
1: Uh, you know, it was a dream that I'd always had to go to ballet hmm. school. So it, for me, it was really a dream come true. It was, I, I recognized that there was a lot of privilege being able to have parents who could afford to pay for my education outside of the country. You know, that's not the standard for right. um, most of the population in Zimbabwe. So it was a huge privilege to be able to go and pursue ballet Uh, Of all things, you know, it's not really considered a practical Mm. career choice. And my parents were very supportive of my pursuing a career in the arts. And so, um, you know, when I got to England, I had been a few times to visit family. So I wasn't unfamiliar with England. And Zimbabwe, uh, before independence was Rhodesia, it was a British colony. Mm. So I feel like we had a lot of, especially in the white Population and culture. We had a lot of British influence growing up. Uh, my maternal grandfather was born in England. So, even within the family, you know, I think there was a little bit of a tie to uh, England already. And like I said, I traveled there um, with my family when I was younger. So, it wasn't completely strange to me to be in England. I was excited to be there. And I think it was only, you know, after I'd got there and settled in that I began to realize I was young, I was far <laughs> from home. And even though there was family nearby, they weren't uh, very close by. So yeah, yeah it was kind of, uh, you know, I was almost an adult and I was out on my own and experiencing student life in Manchester. And Manchester uh-huh. was really a lovely city for architecture the arts and a huge student population because, you know, they have several universities there and colleges as well. They have a music school, they have um, the ballet school. Uh, So it's a lovely place to be.
0: Yeah, I was surprised when I went also to see how studenty it was and quite vibrant.
1: Yes, it is lovely.
0: And so once you achieved your, your degree and became a ballet teacher was it clear in your mind that you
1: wanted to stay in england uh no so i had spent my three years in england at northern ballet school and i got my qualifications and you know i could have uh, looked for work in the uk at the time um there's always openings at dance studios but i wanted to travel uh, a little bit i was interested to see if I could find work um, somewhere else just to, you know, I was young at the time. I was, Mm. I think, 20, and I thought uh, it would be nice to travel to see what other places there were. And so, you know, back then it wasn't, we didn't have the online resources that we have today because I'm talking about, you know, like 20, 20, almost 20 years ago when I graduated. So it was, you know, it was hard to sort of look, but I found a teaching post in Canada. I'd gone home, I think I was home for about six months, After I graduated and when I was home, I was um, dancing with the National Ballet in Zimbabwe and with a contemporary company called Tambuka. And uh, so I had a lovely six months in between while I was sort of putting out feelers. I'd had friends um, who'd got uh, teaching jobs in South Africa, in Portugal, uh, other places in Europe. There was a friend of mine from ballet school who established herself in Norway. One of the girls I danced with was from Switzerland, and she went home to Switzerland. There was lots of opportunities there. So it seemed like um, with the qualifications, there really was a great international reach. And, um, you know, I don't really know why I settled on Canada. It seemed like a good job. I'd never been to North America even to visit. And, you know, when you're young, you're kind of adventurous and you think, hey, I'll just go there for a year and see what that's about. Yeah. So I left home with one suitcase and arrived in um, in Canada in 2004, and I'm still here.
0: Wow. It, it's a bit like you spin the map of the world and just landed on Canada.
1: Yeah, sort of. I think it was very unintentional. And in hindsight, um, you know, I thought, well, uh, perhaps I should have been a little more intentional about where I went, because although I didn't plan to stay here long-term, Um, Life has turned out that way and I ended up with a wonderful career at Alberta Ballet School in their professional division. And um, yeah, I think uh, if I could go back to my younger self, I would have thought maybe spin a little bit less, (laughs) be more intentional (laughs) about where you're going, because I always thought I would just pick up and leave and, you know, move Mm. around. Maybe I would try America. Maybe I would uh, go back to Europe. You know, I really love Europe. So at some point I thought maybe I would end up there, but I ended up staying here and now I have two daughters and a husband that are Canadian. So I feel feel like I've really ended up quite settled here.
0: Yeah, you settled completely. Mm -hmm. You say back, and I would have liked to move more intentionally. If you were to do it again, what criteria do you think you would think about
1: before moving? Definitely the climate. So coming from Africa, where we have, especially Zimbabwe, you know, we're quite central, Mm -hmm. southern Africa, we're fairly near the equator, so our weather is is we have a very temperate climate. I think if I was given the opportunity to do it again and realizing that I wasn't going to pick up my bags and move after a year, I maybe would have looked for somewhere that was uh, warmer or had less harsh winters than Canada. um, There were times in my years here in Canada where I looked at perhaps moving to Australia uh, to see if there was any openings there. A lot of Zimbabweans ended up in Australia, I think, because Mm. uh, for them, it was probably the most similar lifestyle and climate um that was comparable to Zimbabwe but wasn't a lot
0: of South Africans moved to Australia for the same reason So I'm not surprised when you say Zimbabweans do the same
1: yes yes and you know I had gone to Switzerland a couple of times with my friend that I danced with and I really loved it there I really I love Europe and so yeah I think if I hadn't landed on a warmer climate I maybe would have picked um somewhere like Switzerland uh, just hmm. because it's beautiful and it's uh, it's in Europe and um, yeah, I think if I had the chance to do it over again, maybe I would uh, spin spin the globe and end up somewhere different.
0: <laughs> okay, so weather would be a, a criteria, <laughs> and Europe for you were saying for the beauty of it. Any any other?
1: The culture, the architecture—you know—I love the history in Europe. I love the architecture there. I love the culture. Um, you know, I haven't traveled extensively, but I—I've spent a little bit of time in Italy when I was younger because my father was from there. And I'd spent—I'd gone to uh, Switzerland twice with my friend that I danced with. Um, you know, and uh, Canada's history is relatively young compared to yeah. Europe, so we don't have that kind of same architecture. You know, we don't have the churches, the cathedrals you know Mm. the parcels that kind of thing and uh, I do I do miss that and so you've been in
0: Canada for quite a few years you've founded a family and you were saying so your daughters and your husband are all Canadian have you been able to transmit part of your culture uh, from Zimbabwe
1: to your family also I hope so. Um, You know, my my two daughters, uh, they're only four and five. And, you know, they talk about Zimbabwe a lot, I think, because I talk about it. Um, Because of COVID, I haven't been able to get back there recently but the plan is to take them back. Um, My oldest daughter went, but she was only a baby at the time. So, you know, we look at uh, pictures and videos from home and speak to our family there and stuff like that. So I feel like Zimbabwe is very much a part of their lives for two girls who are small and who haven't actually Mm. uh, traveled much yet. Um, You know, they talk about it. They talk about going. They talk about all the wonderful things they want to see. And, you know, they, they grow up with some of the art that I have in the house some of the books I have in the house the music that I play so I feel like somewhere along the line you know there's a little bit of African influence and I hope that that remains a part of them as they grow
0: lovely (laughs) your whole phase around adapting to this new new country and also what you wish to keep from there what what part of you has been become
1: Canadian in a way well, I'd already done, you know, one big move from Zimbabwe to England when I was mm. uh, younger. It was fairly recent. So, you know, I sort of thought, "Oh, I know what I'm getting myself into." <laughs> um, but, you know, I didn't really have any sort of idea of Canadian uh, culture. I think in Zimbabwe, uh, the only sort of North American culture we knew was from US sitcoms. So, right. very stereotypical, I think. And Canada is very distinctly different to America from what I'm told. So, I in my mind, they were sort of you know, the same and very similar, but uh, I came to understand that it's different. And the country itself is just so vast. And I didn't really Mm -hmm. have an appreciation for how big Canada was. You know, you see it on the map and you understand. But when I got here, I began to realize just how vast the land itself is, and that all the provinces are sort of different. They're known for different things. I mean, the East Coast has completely its own culture. There's Quebec, Uh, which I've been to in Montreal, uh, where they have a very European, French kind of culture, Mm. Um, certainly Canadianized, uh, but their own, you know, very separate entities. And so I first came, I first went to Vancouver Island, I was only there briefly for six months. And then I moved to Calgary, which is where I've ended up settling. And I found that it was, it was easy, you know, the Canadians are very polite, helpful, friendly. And so, you know, when I came uh, to work, people were very generous to help me find an apartment to live in to help me find furniture. I was just blown away by their generosity and their kindness. Being an English speaker and moving somewhere like Calgary where they speak English, it meant that it was easy. You know, I didn't have to really learn another language. And I think that would certainly add an element of difficulty. You know, I think of my dad's family coming to Zimbabwe when he was young, and they only spoke Italian, and they moved to Mm. Rhodesia, where the white population (laughs) (laughs) is very different. (laughs) <laughs> yeah the white population spoke English or Afrikaans and the culture back in Rhodesia would have been so very different to Italy back in the um you know 60s so I think that there wasn't as much of a culture shock as I anticipated there was a okay. few things along the way that you sort of learn as you go and um yeah mostly it was I would say it was fairly easy to just blend in here
0: Wow, that's it's very rare. So it's it's nice. You can definitely appreciate that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I think the hardest thing I would say is being so far from family. Mm. Um I think that was the difficulty, you know. Uh I'm I'm easily outgoing. So it was making friends was not difficult and finding a community of friends over the years. Mm. I I was able to establish those relationships, sort of making a family for myself. And um, I was very fortunate in the ballet family that I ended up with here in Calgary to find a wonderful community of artists, uh, of people who treated me like family and took care of mm. me. And I'm very grateful for that, because I do think that's probably the hardest part of moving countries by yourself, especially when yes. you're young, is um, sometimes it can be lonely. I would say that's probably the oh, biggest definitely. Yeah. block. You really yeah. have to find and make your tribe Yes, exactly. Exactly. Because now you've left family and friends far behind. And, you know, as much as it's exciting to start a new life, like once that excitement comes and goes, and you're left with the routine of daily life, you realize that you really are far away in a very, you know, different culture in a different place. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, finding your tribe is important.
0: Yeah, it's great that you were able to find it through, uh, through dancing.
1: Yes, I, I feel blessed in my profession that I've um, encountered such wonderful people, lovely friendships, colleagues, and that I've, I've been able to pursue a profession that I wanted to all my life, and that I really found a wonderful home in Alberta Ballet School. So still talking about arts, you so you were a
0: ballet teacher. What led you to start writing
1: Well, I'd always written, even when I was young, I used to write fiction. And as I uh, moved into my teenage years, I started to write poetry. I was very lucky. I had a mum who read to me when I was a child, you know, Mm. and uh, writing and reading was something that was um, important in our house. And so I had a lot of exposure to things like poetry when I was younger. And I just really loved it. It was something I had a great appreciation for. And so, you know, I just used to write. It was sort of therapeutic to me to write uh, whether I was journaling feelings and thoughts or just day-to-day life I would jot down lines especially when I was younger and I was traveling a lot it was always nice to record where I'd been and what I'd seen and done Mm. and um, as I got older I used poetry as sort of a means of just expressing myself and it was never really for anyone else to read it was just something that I collected for myself and um, what happened with the poems that were published is when I'd moved away from home and I had this longing for home and I was homesick, I used to write about Zimbabwe, and at first, I just wrote about the landscape that I missed. you know, I wrote about the sun and I wrote about the beautiful wildlife and the savannah and things like that. And it was really just these love songs for my home that I'd left behind and that I was homesick for. And then, um, in my later years, I'd started writing a little bit more about my upbringing being uh, white in Zimbabwe, being a minority, yeah. uh, being raised with a life of privilege that was juxtaposed against um, you know, poverty and racism, mm. um, and in a country that was at times really struggling. And that was just a way to process that childhood that I had and those uh, things that I heard and saw, and just to bring to light some of those injustices and um, that, that really privileged life that I had there. Uh, and then... Uh, during COVID, actually, I was laid off from my ballet teaching job. And so I hadn't done a lot of writing when my children were young. Mm-hmm. Um, it had taken up a lot of my time being a mum. I can and imagine. And <laughs> so I sort of just let the writing fizzle out. And Then um, when I was laid off with COVID and I was home with my kids all the time, I thought, well, I sort of have a little bit of time. And I came back to my writing, which I hadn't done for a few years. And I found this wonderful online community of writers called Canada Writes on Facebook. And I joined them. And, you know, people would share their writing. um, People would post poems and things there. And then if they got published, they'd post that. And I started realizing people were submitting their poetry and being published in places and I thought well maybe I'll just submit a poem here or there and see if I hear anything and uh, so I submitted a couple of poems and they were picked up Um, one was picked up my first one that was picked up was in um, a literary review out of Zimbabwe which was really special for me to be published in my Hmm. own Home country. Yeah, of and it was yeah. actually a poem um, that I had written as I was sitting in the Harare International Airport leaving to start my life in Canada. So it was very poignant. Oh, yes. I, a very, yeah, there's was very really poignant a... at the time because there was a lot of um, sentimental attachment to that poem. And uh, I had been published by the League of Canadian Poets. And there was this um, editor called Marian Lougheed, who uh, was part of the Canada Rights Group. And she started messaging me. And, you know, I look back now and I think, how did this relationship come about? But I think it was just the right person at the right time. And she runs oh. off topic publishing, a Canadian micropress. And she said to me, you know, would I be interested in publishing a chapbook of my own poetry about Zimbabwe? And I said, of course, you know, <laughs> so I had always written, but being a published author was not something that I had really pursued. It was something that I never imagined would happen. You know, to me, writers were people who had gone to school and who knew how to <laughs> write and, uh, who had pursued careers as journalists or, you know, that, that kind of thing, people who really knew what they were doing. So it was this lovely surprise when Marion approached me and said, um, you know what I look at putting together these poems so yeah just in april the chapbook was released it's called all forgotten now and it's a collection of poems that are really a story about zimbabwe
0: lovely well we'll link it in the comments so you guys can go uh, find it Thank you. um but yeah i love that it's about your your childhood in zimbabwe and i i completely understand and i can imagine that as a child grow, growing up you, you you could probably see there was a, a difference of treatments. You could probably understand mm-hmm. part of the privilege, but I guess it does take a few years and time to get into adulthood to be able to really reflect on what you lived and understand or that was going on in the country at the time.
1: Yes. And I, I did comment on one of the poems that I wrote and I said, you know, this poem is intentionally childish in its approach mm. to dealing with, uh, racism, because I was a child at the time. You know, it was yeah. how I experienced it. It was my lived experience of growing up, where um, this rampant racism was just inherently a part of everyday life. And you know, for a lot of the white people, they were they were unapologetic about about this yeah. division between. Uh, the white people and the black people in Zimbabwe. And so, um, yeah, it's it's one of those things that, you know, you think as a white uh, person from a life of privilege, do I open my mouth and say something and risk, um, you know, I, I never mean to be offensive in any way, but I want to bring mm. light to it. I want to speak about uh, the reality of what was happening. And, um, you know, yes, it is from my perspective. I can only speak from my perspective. But um, I think, you know, the time for, for being silent has come and gone yeah
0: yeah no it's uh it's a great cause to talk about and it's interesting to have that the writing as a child also and yeah you take me back to my my younger days uh when i was nine i was actually in south africa and i think that's when i discovered racism for the first time it was in 96 our potato had just been uh was only finished a few years before but it's I think it was the first time I was confronted to what racism was and as a child it was I think difficult to process and I think again reflecting years later I sort of understood scenes that I could have witnessed and didn't really understand what was going on at the time at that age.
1: Yeah and I think that's um, that really resonates with me because I was 12 when apartheid came to an end in South Africa Mm. And my first knowing or understanding of it was I had a pen pal in South Africa who wrote to me and she mentioned this new South Africa and how things were changing and You know, she said she hoped it wouldn't be too bad. Like there didn't seem to be a lot of um, expectation of it to be a joyous thing uh, for this white girl in South Africa. And I remember going to my mom and saying, like, what does she mean about this new South Africa? And now as an adult, it's appalling to me that I didn't know what apartheid was at the time. Um, I also understand having children of my own, you know, I like mm. I don't speak to my children about the war in Russia and Ukraine right now because yeah. they're four and five. And the privilege is that I get to protect my children from things that they are too young to understand and things they don't need to carry at this age. Um, but, you know, I think about that and I think about I have a black friend that I talked to and, and one of the poems in the book, he was a comment he made was the basis for that poem. Because he said to me, you know, your Zimbabwe and my Zimbabwe are very different. And Mm. he knew about apartheid. And and for the black people in Zimbabwe, it was as much a victory for them as it was for the people in South Africa. This end of this horrific regime in 1994. But, you know, he was a child growing up in Zimbabwe. And he didn't have the luxury of being protected from the knowledge of what was going on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very intense. (laughs) So... To go on a lighter note, maybe let's move on to your recommendations for uh, Calgary.
1: Yes. So I have a couple of uh, recommendations for you. I'm not sure. So, okay. So for a bar, I picked this bar and it's called Betty Lou's Library. And obviously being somebody who reads and writes, this was uh, very appealing to me. And uh, you have to make reservations to go there, but the entrance is behind a bookcase and they give you a password. When you make a reservation. So, to get in, you have to uh, give them a password. And they have a lovely menu there, but a lot of their cocktails are literary themed by name, like a Jane Eyre <laughs> or Virginia Woolf. So, um, I thought that was uh, quite a, a unique sort of, uh, you know, as opposed to just a regular bar where you show up and have something to drink. So, that's my recommendation for a bar in Calgary. And uh, for a restaurant, Well, I'm a vegetarian slash vegan. So um, one of my favorite places for pizza in Calgary is called Avatara Pizza. Uh, And I would say long before all the other places kind of jumped on the vegan bandwagon, they've been producing um, really good quality vegan uh, pizzas which are uh, if you know anything about that in the last few years it's really become more popular but it's yes. sort of been one of those things that's hard to find mm-hmm. and um, for the
0: cheese yes yeah
1: exactly exactly and they just do such excellent quality food and so that's Avatara pizza and then I was also going to mention this lovely vegan bakery in Inglewood called Canella And uh, all their baked stuff is vegan. They have coffee there as well, Um, like a vegan cinnamon bun. Cinnamon buns are kind of a big thing in North America. Mm. Um, I found in Canada, cinnamon buns were quite um, a treat here. So yes, to find a vegan version is lovely. And, um, yeah, for a place in Calgary, uh, because I was talking about books, I was going to mention the new Calgary Central Library downtown. Uh, It's beautiful architecture. So, you know, if you were passing through Calgary and you were visiting, I would say, um, you know, it's definitely worth a look.
0: Okay. Well, we will link all of these in the comments. So anyone going through Calgary can stop by and check these places out. Lovely. Great. Great. And so last but not least, what is your expat song?
1: Well, uh, for me, it would have to be Scattlings of Africa by Johnny Clegg. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you, if you know Johnny Clegg. Yes, um, I do. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So uh, I would say that would be my expat song. I mean, it just really speaks to all of us who are far flung from home. And mm-hmm. I've had the privilege of seeing uh, Johnny Clegg twice. Um, I mean, he's passed away now, but seeing him twice here in, in Calgary, I saw him once downtown, and once in an amphitheater in Banff, in the Rocky Mountains, which was wow. really a wonderful experience. And I knew a couple of um, the guys who were playing in his band. So although I didn't get to hang out with Johnny, I did get to hang out with some of his, friends. <laughs> of his, his saxophonist at the time was Zimbabwean. And, and so, yeah, I had this um, nice little link to Johnny Clegg and his band when they were here. And um, yeah, so scatlings of Africa is just really that song that speaks to me.
0: Yeah, well, I'll link um, I'll link it in the comments also, so you guys can go go have a nice listen and be transported back to Africa. <laughs> Lovely. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I really am um, very curious to go have a read of your of your poems. I think they will definitely take me back to my days in the, in South Africa. And wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was lovely to meet you. Guys, if you enjoyed the episode, please put a rating on Apple Podcast or Spotify. As usual, you'll find everything in the comments and stay tuned for the next one.